from flooding on our roadways to contaminated drinking water to the energy used to power our homes. Environmental issues impact us all on a daily basis. This is especially true here in Delaware, the lowest lying state in the entire country. We are only a few months into the 2021 session, and already lawmakers have introduced several pieces of legislation aimed at addressing issues such as sustainable development and pollution in our air and waterways, making it clear that environmental issues are a priority for the 151st General Assembly. This week, we'll hear from two lawmakers who have spent decades working in various environmental science fields. Representative Deborah Heffernan and Senator Stephanie Hansen join us to discuss some of the environmental legislation they've been working on and the importance of addressing the issues here in our state. We'll also hear from Dustin Thompson, Community Outreach Director for the Sierra Club Delaware, on the importance of working with elected officials and building community coalitions to address our growing environmental concerns. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is WebCount. We'll now hear from Dustin Thompson, who is a Community Outreach Director at the Delaware Sierra Club. Dustin, what is it that you do at the Sierra Club, and how did you get into environmental advocacy? I grew up in like the late 80s, early 1990s, and, and for those of us in that generation remembers, um, you know, Captain Planet, Magic School Bus, and, and all those kind of hippie shows. Um, I think it was pretty inevitable growing up watching that stuff that I was going to end up in the environmental movement. But, you know, what really got me involved in Delaware was just kind of seeing the need to push on this front. You know, other states are kind of leaving us in their dust on environmental policy. So Delaware's got a long way to go. What kind of initiatives are the Sierra Club taking on to prevent the effects of climate change and create a cleaner environment? Yeah, so I mean, there's a number of bills that are being worked on right now, uh, and and a number of bills that have actually already gotten a vote that that are going to help mitigate the the impacts of climate change. Of course, uh, the RPS finally got its first increase in, in over a decade. The renewable portfolio standard, which kind of sets the schedule for how much renewable energy that Delmarva needs to to purchase uh, for its customers. So the more we invest in clean energy, a lot of our air pollution, for example, comes from other states, and it's heavily predominantly coming from the energy sector in those other states. So the more we invest in our region in renewable energy and take some of those dirtier plants offline, the cleaner the Delaware air will become. Uh, so that's really important. And then we're also seeing the need to help people out on their electric bills. Um, you know, solar is a great way to do that, but there's, there's a lot of equity issues in the solar market. Um, right now, you got to have a lot of money up front to, to benefit from it and get lower energy bills. So we're working on community solar, make sure everybody can can get in on, on the energy savings that solar produces and the cleaner environment that solar produces and the jobs, the, the green jobs that pay a, a really good salary um, in the solar industry. Uh, so there's just a couple of things. Yeah. Do you want to touch a little bit more on the community solar? Because I know we actually have, I think, a few legislators involved in that as well. Yeah, Senator Hansen has been um, really great. Uh, Senator McDowell obviously was the energy champion for a long time, and there's pretty big shoes to fill, but Senator Hansen is certainly doing it. So she has really maintained a really inclusive, community-centered, and transparent approach to energy policy uh, throughout the RPS conversations and into the community solar conversations. We're, we're working directly with legislators and advocates in industry uh, which is which in an, in an open public setting where the public can participate as well, which is a kind of a different 
shift in dynamic um, than what we're used to seeing in the legislature, where it's a lot more industry and less advocacy and community. How exactly does the Sierra Club work with legislators? Are you meeting with them one-on-one? Are you kind of doing forums together? What does that collaboration look like? Yeah, we did a lot of one-on-one meetings. Um, I wouldn't say one-on-one. It was kind of five or six-on-one, you know, one legislator, but we'd have, you know, multiple people from impacted communities and, and people from the Sierra Club. We have an RPS coalition. About 38 different organizations have signed on to work together. Um, n- nonprofits and, and grassroots organizations and civic organizations in Delaware. And um, so we set up meetings with legislators and, and whoever was able to make it to those meetings, you know, we got them in to talk with legislators about the need here, kind of help educating them on what community solar is, what it stands for, what it can do. Um, but right now we're kind of in the phase that we have these public meetings um, that Senator Hansen's been putting on where we kind of work out the details on what a policy uh, for community solar should look like. And so it's a little bit more of a kind of a public dialogue. It really needs to be, uh, the community needs to be engaged and involved with the projects that aren't as successful, right? And we're, and we're making sure that low-income communities are guaranteed on these community solar projects. In order to do that, there's a lot of consumer education and community engagement that needs to happen so they feel comfortable doing that. Um, so it's even more key, I would say, for this than and maybe some other, you know, kind of technical policy changes that, you know, could be uh, lumped in with this. You talked a little bit about how you're meeting with the legislators. So I was wondering, what is the real difference between action being taken at the state and local level and at the federal level? Is it easier to communicate with state legislators and get things pushed through in the state level? In terms of working on the state level and versus the federal level, I think everybody that's involved in politics on, on either side can kind of agree that the federal level is kind of a mess. You know, the, the Constitution sets forth what is delegated to the states. And this is clearly, uh, you know, mostly a land use and, and inter, interstate uh, rather than, or intrastate um, rather than interstate uh, issue. So you're not buying any energy from community solar across state borders, right? It's all con- confined into the state of Delaware. So it's a state issue. Um, so you really wouldn't do much on the federal level in this aspect, and and thank God for that. It would take you know a better part of a decade or more to get any movement on that. Where on the state side, Delaware's great. Everybody, if they want to, you can contact your state representative or senator, and they will be you know usually pretty responsive. And and that's what we found on the state level. The federal level, it's really hard to actually get anything past a form response from any federal delegate. So. On the state side, it's really a dream kind of working with the state legislature. Yeah, and you were touching a little bit on this earlier about the community aspect and community buy-in. I noticed that on the Sierra Club's website, it actually mentions inclusion is a priority of yours. So how does the intersection of inclusion and diversity and the environment go together? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, there's kind of multiple lanes of environmentalism. um, and, And I kind of recognize that as I stepped into this role with the club. Um, you kind of have different conversations happening on, on the environment. You have an issue around like conservation and, and what that means in terms of protecting you know, old growth forests and open spaces and, and even expanding out into issues around hunting and, and things of like that. So you actually get some people more involved in, in conservation that may be a little bit more moderate or right-leaning um, that are still uh, very favorable to that conversation. Whereas when you talk about you know environmental justice and um, and energy policy, which kind of happens in two separate lanes, 
that needs to merge together more, but it, it's still kind of divided right now. Um, you don't get those same people. So there's different kind of populations in, in the environmental movement. But I would say um, in terms of inclusion, we're all impacted by the environment and what we do or don't do um, with that. And I would say, you know, low-income communities are, are hit and, and even moderate-income communities where you're, you're working full-time hours and still not making a living wage, you know, you're really impacted by what happens in energy policy, by what goes up next to your house in terms of is it a forest or, or, or you know, some wood, wooded land versus an industry, how that impacts your property values. So it's key that you reach out to those communities and get them involved in these policy decisions and in, in things that maybe they wouldn't normally get involved, like land use. Um, we're seeing more and more people get involved in land use, and that's a really positive movement. Because a lot of the issues that you may have in your life ultimately revolve around decisions that are made on the county level um, in land use. And so it's really important to us that we use whatever privilege that we have to help engage communities that normally would not get engaged on issues like that. Yeah, and I think another big issue that's impacting a lot of people right now is water, even access to clean drinking water, flooding on the roadways. Water issues are a really big deal right now, especially in Delaware. So I know there's two bills coming in the pike right now. We have Representative Longhurst Clean Water Act, which she's been working on for a few years now. And then Representative Deb Heffernan just introduced a PFAS bill, which would set a contaminant level for these harmful chemicals in our water and make sure that we're no longer drinking contaminated water that could lead to several health issues down the road. So has the Sierra Club had any involvement on that? A lot of the water issues, um, Representative Longhurst's bill is great for people on public infrastructure. Uh, it's going to be great for stormwater management. Look, it makes sense to have a trust that you can put money into, get federal matching funds, um, because they know it's going to be dedicated to this use. Um, but there's still big gaps um, with people on private well water and in low-income communities that are never likely going to get connected to public systems. Um, and Representative Shoup actually introduced a bill for a pilot program that can kind of help fill some of those gaps and had a, a couple uh, Democratic uh, legislators signing on to that. And, and we got to think about that more and more. How do we help the people that, that will really never get into a public system that are drinking contaminated wells? And a lot of that's going to come down to regulations that haven't been tweaked in decades. And, and we need to take a serious look at that. Um, in terms of Representative Heffernan's bill, um, you know, it, it, it's a great start. Um, if you look at what Virginia and Maryland are doing around this issue, uh, they got a list of, of where these forever chemicals are coming from. And they're just outright banning those products in the state. Uh, you can't use or sell those products that contain those chemicals because there is no safe limit. And we, need, we just need to acknowledge that. There is no safe limit of these chemicals in water. Um, so while we study and look at what should the limits be, we need to recognize that. There, the, the, the limit should be zero. And we really need to move forward more aggressively like what other states are doing and just outright banning these products being used in the state. Um, similar to what Representative Pualco has, has talked about doing um, in, in previous legislation as well uh, for these cancer-causing chemicals. You know, we really need to, I would say, um, one additional thing is we got to focus in on what the communities have been calling for for decades. It's, it's nice that we're solving issues that others have recognized, but the communities have also recognized a lot of issues that they deal with on the ground. 
And so the more engagement that we have with, with and I've seen more and more representatives and senators doing this kind of community engagement, the more that we do and not try to decide or, or come up with what communities are facing, but listening to them and, and figuring out solutions to help them with the issues that they come to us with, you know, the better off we're going to be. We're going to hear now from Senator Stephanie Hansen, who is the chair of the Senate Energy and Environment Committee and has been involved in various environmental science fields for years. So, Senator Hansen, could you start off by giving us a little bit about your background in environmental science? Well, I'm originally from Seaford, uh, grew up downstate and went to the University of Delaware. Um, and have pretty much stayed up at the University of Delaware area, this Newark, Bear, Glasgow, Middletown area um, since since graduating from there a long time ago. My undergraduate degree was in geology. I have a master's degree uh, in earth science. And using those uh, together, I worked for about eight years or so as a scientist with the Department of Natural Resources, then went to law school. I was, I was president of Newcastle County Council for about four years or so in that, helped to rewrite the county's land use code specifically those portions having to do with the environmental development and environmentally sensitive areas, and those development environmental provisions. Uh, but while I was on county council, I went to law school and um, have been a practicing environmental attorney for about 20 years or so. I did just retire, though. It's, it's really hard being a legislator uh, and having a demanding full-time job as well. Uh, so we were, you know, my husband and I were at the point where I could retire um, and we could still keep a roof over our heads. And so uh, we do that. And now I'm able to really dig into the environmental issues that we have. And as chair of the Energy and Environment um, Committee, it's, it's, it's good. You know, these are, these, are interest, these are areas that interest me greatly. And I have the background to understand what I'm digging into. You just mentioned a little bit about your background at Denarac, and now you're chair of the Energy and Environment Committee. So what is it like? What is the interplay like between our legislator and our state agencies and how do they craft policy together? There is a lot of discussion between the legislators and the agencies and um, legislation gets crafted from both directions. So you can, many times the agencies who are actually out there implementing the laws will come, or will come up with things that they like, wow, you know, things would work a whole lot better for us and for, uh, for the public if we could do the following things, you know, if we could have legislation that would allow us to do the following things. And so you, a lot of times will have the agency come to you as the chair of a committee um, to say, hey, we've got this piece of environmental legislation or health legislation, or whatever you happen to have. Um, uh, what do you think about sponsoring this for us? It also works the other way as well. So particularly if you have a great interest in something, like I have a lot of interest in environmental issues, um, I'll take ideas and kind of pitch them to the administration about, hey, what do we think about doing the following things here? And then we can we can work together on it from that direction. So, and we can draft our own legislation. I mean. We have attorneys in the Senate and in the House. So if a legislator has an idea and something that they want to follow up on, we can get our own attorneys to draft it. Same thing with the administrative agencies. It's really important, though, um, if you're going to do a heavy bill that is going to require an administrative agency to really um, do work, you know, it really requires them to dig into it. It's 
it's really important to have the discussions with the agency and make sure that uh, that they're on board. And I mean, you, you can still get it done if they're not quite like really happy and excited about it. You know, they may not implement it, you know, like really vigorously. Um, so it's best to it's best to have a good relationship with them. And we were just talking about legislation. So I want to hear from you about a few of the bills that you've sponsored. I know there's a few of them. So you can maybe just talk about your two or three favorite ones that you've sponsored this session that relate to environmental policy. I just did. And that that the uh, the House just passed and we just got signed yesterday. The governor signed it uh, is a ban on the sale of invasive species. So one of the things that we have, based of plant species, we have lost 40% of our native birds, 40% of our native plants, 30% of our native fish uh, amphibians and reptiles, 20% of our native fish. The University of Delaware has actually declined what looks to be almost the, the collapse of the bottom half of our ecosystem, which is very, very alarming. So in 2017, I put together the, um, the statewide ecological extinction task force, which was made up of business interests, environmental interests, as well as government agencies as well, to make sure that we were all on the same page, um, that we agreed that this was a problem, and if so, what to do about it. Um, we did that. The House, I have a couple of members on there. The Senate had a couple of members. Um, and one of the big things that came out of that, that effort was the identification that the uh, presence of invasive species, particularly invasive plant species, was a huge contributor to this collapse that we're seeing. So. Thank you to everyone in the House. Thank you to my colleagues over in the Senate. We got it passed. The governor signed it yesterday at a big environmental summit, and that was a great thing. We have a tiny little bill that you guys are going to see over in the House come over, and it will be, I promise you, this is the easiest environmental bill you will ever vote for, okay? The creation of a Delaware native plant species support pollinator license plate. This, this actually came from DelDot. DelDot has a pollinator group and they do a lot of road work. And in the process of doing road work, you have to disturb a lot of land. So when you disturb a lot of land, particularly wetlands, you have to create more wetlands someplace else. So they do a lot of wetland creation and pollinator creation. And so they have a group that, spe that specifically does that. And so um, what this, uh, this license plate bill will do it was allow them to sell these license plates for $50. The money goes for to support pollinator habitat. And this was actually developed by DelDot and DENREC and the Del Delaware Native Species. This is new because these, these are actually Delaware Native Species on the license plate. Before, it was so funny because they, they had the, they did an, a mock-up of the a license plate ahead of time. And they just put on like template trees and butterflies and whatever. And I looked at it, I was like, hmm. So I, I sent over to the Delaware Native Species Commission. They're like, nothing on there is a native species. I thought, well, we better fix that. So DelDot, they did a special small appropriation for the design. And that's why uh, this one looks a little bit different. They're actual Delaware native species. Another really great example of interagency work and agencies working together to pass legislation or create something. I know besides the agencies, you also are working a lot within your communities to kind of get these ideas out there, especially I know you're doing something with solar right now. So mm -hmm. if you could talk about the solar for a little bit, I would love to hear about that. And also, what are your constituents saying about your support of environmental policies? Do they tend to be in favor of them as well? Oh, yes. Yeah, they they are very much in favor of them, uh, you know. 
it's it's more along the lines of how can we do more even faster so it's it's good i have a i have a lot of of community support with these things so that's that's really helpful with uh with regard to solar i mean it's raining today every time it rains in delaware we have trouble with drainage climate change really comes to live here it lives everywhere but it really comes to live with us here in delaware so um, one of the big bills that we all passed just recently was an increase in the the amount of renewables in our energy portfolio. A little piece of that is also this issue of community solar. So that's a bill that you'll be seeing at some point um, this session. I'm currently working with many stakeholder groups on putting together a bill which will encourage more community solar, uh, projects within the state of Delaware that will help us increase our renewable energy portfolio percentage as well. It will also bring in a lot of jobs. You know, solar ends up bringing in a a lot of. It's a big job creator industry, and so what we can do, particularly with community solar, is to help with that industry right now. But I've been I've been running these large energy and climate forums since about January or so. We had one on the RPS bill. We did one on just community solar. We did one on offshore wind. Um, and so now we're at the point where we're doing the stakeholder meetings um, with uh, with 19 or so different stakeholders and they're public as well. I and mean, you, can, you can watch and see what's going on while we're actually generating the community solar bill that will come out of that. There's another one that you'll see over in the house um, you should, it was just in committee yesterday, so you should see it on the floor soon. And it will, it has to do with the mass release of balloons. So balloon releases have been identified as terribly environmentally damaging, particularly to our marine life, to terrestrial uh, animal life as well. But, but uh, it's like the number one cause of sea turtle death that we have. And we have four sea turtles that call Delaware home and they spend a lot of time here with us. And this is really having a devastating effect. So this actually came to us from uh, the Murr Institute, which is the Marine Estuarine, Marine Estuarine Rehabilitation and Research Center down in Lewis. They are, they're the ones that actually go out and, um, and handle the marine strandings. They handle the injured and sick, uh, dead marine animals. And they have really identified balloons as one of the things that's causing a lot of this mortality. They and uh, Plastic Free Delaware. So we crafted a bill, um, kind of taking a look at what other states have done as well, because 10 other states and municipalities have, have bills banning the mass release of balloons. And we really didn't have anything. So um, we looked at what our other states did. We've crafted a bill very similar to what... Um, Queen Anne's County in Maryland has, which is five or more balloons, is considered a mass release. And so that won't be allowed. Less than that is still considered littering. So, you know, there was a, a smaller littering fine associated with it, but it's the intentional release of balloons is what we're really trying to get to. We have a great General Assembly this year. We have a lot of new members. It's bringing in a lot of fresh ideas and new perspective, a lot of, a lot of energy into the things that we're doing. And, um, it's good, you know, and I'm so, oh, I hope that we can get down back down to the legislative hall by, by the end of June. I mean, that will be the big thing. What a, what a relief and good thing it will be if we're finally able to get back together again in legisl legislative hall and, and, you know, maybe I'll miss being in my office here and, 
the ability to, I mean, literally roll out of bed and walk about six steps to get to my office. I really do miss being down in Legislative Hall with all my colleagues and being just with, with the public and everyone in there. I'm looking forward to that. And now we'll hear from Representative Heffernan, who is the chair of the House and Natural Resources Committee. So, Representative Heffernan, can you start off by telling us about your background? Because I understand that you've been an environmental scientist for many years. Yes, I'm Deborah Heffernan. I'm the state rep for the 6th District. I am an environmental toxicologist, so my background is mostly mainly in risk assessment and in environmental remediation of hazardous waste sites or brownfield sites. Um, I've worked in the field for over 30 years for both industry and the state government. What draws you to environmental issues? Why are they so important to you? Um, I guess I've just always been interested in the environment and especially in the effects of contaminants or chemicals on people and on wildlife and the ecological environment. And I'm very happy to be able to share that level of expertise as being chair of the Natural Resources Committee, because I think being a scientist lends a lot of understanding and credence to the committee. Do you have a bill that you've introduced that would limit the amount of PFAS, which are harmful chemicals, in our drinking water? Do you want to go into that a little bit and talk about that bill? Sure. Um, Right now, PFAS and PFAS are chemicals that are present not only in um, the groundwater and drinking water of Delaware, but of nationally, that's a really big problem. Those chemicals were used in lots and lots of products. And right now, the federal government has a federal advisory level, which is not a legally enforceable level, but they don't have a maximum contaminant limit, MCL is called, for drinking water. So they, you know, while the federal government is probably working to get that, many states have started to figure out and use scientific research studies to set their own MCLs. And my bill does just that. It will have the state of Delaware conduct a survey of drinking water, groundwater sources statewide, and then use existing science, especially that from the Environmental Protection Agency, to come up with and propose an MCL to keep people drinking water in Delaware safe. So what are the harmful effects of these chemicals? Why should we not be absorbing them or consuming them? Both PFAS and PFOS are called named forever chemicals because they don't break down once they get in our bodies. Some of the harmful effects can be low birth weight for babies, hormonal disruption like thyroid hormones, and then possibly even cancer is some of the effects. Delaware does have have laws governing. um, We have MCLs in Delaware for certain chemicals, but we do not have any for PFAS or PFAS, there are a few states that have started to come up with state levels, and New Jersey is one of those states. 
Oh, so right next to us, our neighbor. And That's right. what about another bill that you've recently worked on this session, which is the Invasive Species Bill that was signed into law recently? Yes, um, the Invasive Species Bill was signed. And what that will do is that nurseries and other stores are not going to be able to sell plants that are invasive species that people would plant in their area. And, and there's a list of them, but like one of them is actually English ivy. And I have a story about that one is that when my husband and I first moved in to our house in Delaware 30 years ago, we planted three flats of English ivy. And 30 years later, they have taken over our whole yard, every tree, our whole house, pretty much every week we are cutting down ivy and trying to get rid of it. So those are the kind of plants that are invasive that we'd like to discourage being planted in Delaware and encourage native plants that'll help our habitat and our environment. And native plants also assist because, you know, native insects like bumblebees and other insects are also um, drawn to these native plants, butterflies. And so that um, will also help our environment. So how do the environmental policies that we're putting in place right now, for example, our renewable energy one, how do they intersect with our economy? Environmental policy has a direct impact on economy of the economy of Delaware because it gets people working. And part of these jobs, including um, the renewable energy jobs and other jobs cleaning up Delaware, is I say the greening of Delaware. It makes Delaware a more natural place with more green vegetation, but it also is greening by green like money helping our economy. And so I feel real strongly that environmental bills have a big impact on our economy. So I know you support environmental policies and you've been a leader on environmental bills, but do your constituents feel the same way? Do they also support these environmental policies? My constituents are especially because my um, district is up in the northern part of Delaware near the um, coastline of the Delaware River. And my constituents are very supportive of um, environmental policies that we're putting forward. They are very um, forward thinking on recycling and on um, the lowering the use of single-use bags. And I'm really lucky that my constituents are very supportive of these issues. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. You can find us on Facebook at DE House Dems, on Instagram, DE House Dems, and on Twitter, also DE House Dems. Make sure you're subscribed so you can keep up to date with the latest happenings at Legislative Hall.